morning. I'm Anna Marie, and it's time for Focus. Today, we're going to talk about safety, a bunch of different areas of safety, including safety on the water, and we're going to talk about safety for your kids from the time they're infants and in their child safety seats and to where they're driving on their own, which is a scary thought. So we've got several guests. Let's get started today. We have Betsy Woods with us. We're going to talk about boating safety here in Tennessee. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Anna Marie. It's good to be here. Thank you for joining us. Now, we've got some new things that you want to tell people about. First, if you will, what is the situation? What's the picture right now as far as boating safety in Tennessee? Are we pretty safe or we still have, you know, some places where we can improve? Boating is generally a safe activity and we encourage everybody to boat. It's a lot of fun. We would just like them to do it in a safe manner. And that is keep the drinking down. Make sure you wear your life jackets and have a boating safety course so you'll know the rules of the road and all the rules that apply on the water. Things like what? Well, if you're on the water, you have no lines, you have no stoplights, you have no stop signs. There are proper ways that you pass people, that you meet people head on and avoid collisions. Okay, so you meet somebody head on and what do you do? When you're meeting head on, both boats need to swing out to the right and pass each other. Just like on the road. Correct. Keep in the right lanes. Correct. One of the biggest causes of accidents is operator inattention and improper lookout. So in a boat, you don't have doors like you do on cars. You're totally open and you're on open water. Like in a car, you have to look out for the other boater. You need to keep a 360 lookout at all times. Always know exactly where you are, what's going on around you, and then you drive your boat appropriately for the type of speed of what's going on around you. There are no speed limits on the lake. It's all based on what's going on around you. If there's a lot of traffic, you don't want to be going fast out there because people are coming on boats and coming in all different directions. Just because you might know the rules of the road doesn't mean the other person does. So basically it's about driving defensively. Hey, it can be on certain types of weekends when it's really busy or on holiday weekends. Do we tend to have more boating accidents and boating deaths on holiday weekends and special event type weekends? Not necessarily. Saturday afternoons seems to be the magic time that we have boating accidents. It's in the afternoon after you've been on the water all day. You're tired. You don't realize it, but you have the vibration of the engine. You have the wave action. You have the glare of the sun and all that takes a lot of energy out of you. Mm-hmm. Then if you add alcohol to that mix, well, it's almost a disaster. Is it legal to drink and boat? It is. The operator must not be impaired. It's just like on a car. Choose a designated driver. Most boats go out on the water and then they get off the water. They trailer their boats back home. If you're on a boat and you've been drinking all day, then you get in your truck and you take that driver and then you're on the road driving impaired yeah. too. Yeah. So it's kind of a double whammy there. Yeah. If you're just joining us, this is Focus. I'm Anna Marie, and we're talking about boating safety today with Betsy Woods with the TWRA. Does there tend to be a certain time of day or time of week or time of the year when boating accidents and boating fatalities are more common? Our statistics show that mainly on Saturdays between noon and 8 p.m. is when the most of the incidents happen. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily fatalities, but just accidents or fatalities. Mm-hmm. What are some of the most common problems that TWRA sees on the water? Things that we're doing that we're messing up that you would love for us to know that we could do better? The most common written citation on the water is insufficient number of life jackets on the boat. Hmm. There must be a life jacket for every person on the boat. It has to be a wearable life jacket and it has to be the proper size and the proper fit. And in addition, if you're under 13 years old, you have to be wearing it at all times. You have to be wearing that life jacket. You do have to be wearing it. And what do you mean has to be wearable? 
There are wearable life jackets and throwable life jackets. Throwable life jackets are like a cushion, Coast Guard approved cushion, or a throw ring like you see at swimming pools. Right. That's the Type 4 throwable device. And if your boat is 16 foot or longer, then you have to have one of those readily accessible, which means if somebody were to fall out of your boat, then you can easily pick that throwable device up and throw it to the person in the water. You can't have it under the cushion somewhere where you have to open everything up and dig it out. You're not supposed to. And that's addition to the life jackets, too, on the boat. They can't be still in their plastic. They have to be accessible where you can put them on in case of an emergency. Of course, we recommend that everybody wear them because they will save your life. That's why they're called life jackets. I don't know how to swim, so I've noticed that I tend to be the only one on a boat who's wearing my life jacket. You said that there's something new that might help all of us be a little more willing to wear those life jackets. There are. There's new technology for life jackets, and they're called the inflatable life jackets. Okay. These life jackets are lightweight. They won't mess with your tan lines. Oh, well, yes. You can put them on, and you pretty much forget about it once you have them on. And then if you were unexpectedly to come into the water, you'd have the life jacket on, and you just pull a cord, and it will inflate. That sounds great, because I know the older ones are big and bulky and super... Super hot. Correct. These are unbelievably lightweight. Who is most likely to drown because they weren't wearing a life jacket? What we do is pretty much driven by our accident statistics. Right. And the middle-aged male, non-tournament fisherman, seems to be the people that fall out of the boat for some reason unexpectedly and drown. And most time they know how to swim. Oh. Do most people who fall out tend to know how to swim? Well, I don't know if you've ever been pitched out of a boat or unexpectedly fallen out of a boat and you're a little disoriented. I've seen people actually on water skis that have fallen and they think that they're upside down, but really the level of the water is right up above their head, but they're trying to swim down instead of up. Right. It's just like expect unexpected. And if you have one of these inflatable life jackets on, well, if you're unexpectedly thrown into the water, well, there it is. Just pull the cord and you're going to be up. It'll pop you right up to the top. It will, yes. Okay. If you've just joined us, we're continuing in our safety series, our summer safety series of focuses, and we're talking boating safety today with Betsy Woods with TWRA. Anything else I've neglected to ask that you just think people have got to know this? I think alcohol and boating is something that people should know about. It is against the law to operate a boat while intoxicated. It's the same level as on the road, 0.08. So we encourage people to have a designated skipper, somebody else to drive the boat that is not drinking. You can have alcohol in the boat, but the operator has to be sober. Yeah, that's part of a lot of people's celebrations on the boat is they want to have something to drink as well. So have a designated driver on the boat. And it's always good to have a boating safety class. The education is the key, I think, to just about all of it. In Tennessee, it's required the operator have a license if they're born after January 1st, 1989. That's 26 years old, I Mm -hmm. think, this year. Next year, it will be 27. It will progress that way. But people that are older than that can also take a boating safety class and it may help them save on their boat insurance. Oh, really? And they get that information online as well? They do, yes. And it's tnwildlife.org. Another thing, the recreation for paddle sports, canoes, kayaks, and fishing kayaks, and stand-up paddle boards especially is exploding in Tennessee. I've never seen so much action going on with especially the stand-up paddle boards. These people get in the middle of the water and they do yoga on them and stand on their (laughs) head and it's a lot of fun. It really is. But canoes 
canoes and kayaks and stand-up paddle boards meet the same carriage requirements. They have to have life jacket for every person on board as well. If you're 12 years old and younger, you have to wear that life jacket. So where would you stash your life jacket on a paddle board if you're not wearing it? Most of them have these little bungee cords attached to them where you can slip it up under there. Oh, Kayaks have little compartments most of the time. If they don't, they have bungee cords. But we really encourage you to wear them. Just go ahead and wear it. Yeah. How are we doing on boating safety? Are we getting better? Are we getting worse? Are we slipping? Are we having fewer people die? I think we're getting better at it, both on the national level as well as the state level. In 2008, Tennessee ranked fifth in the nation for the number of people that drown in boating accidents. Oh, no. And that's behind coastal states of California, Texas, Louisiana, and Florida. And then we have Tennessee. We do have a lot of water. That's not good. We do have a lot of water. But it's still not good. That is not a good place to be. Today, we are 10th in the nation. So we're, we're getting better at it. Yeah. And I want to get out of that top 10. That's a goal that I have. And we've been progressively getting there. Unfortunately, this year, we've had 10 fatalities. 10 too many, for sure. Yeah. I really think that six of them probably could have been saved if they had been wearing a life jacket. Mm. I, I can't say that 100%, but that's why they're called life jackets, because they will save your life if you're wearing one. So we found out that... Our- after noon, noon to, say, 8 o'clock at night, those are the hours in which most of the boating incidents, accidents, fatalities all happen. Is it generally on lakes? Is it generally in crowded conditions, or does it just vary? It varies. We've had people say, oh, Cherokee Lake has more fatalities than any other lake in the state, and that's really not true. We cannot pinpoint it. We've tried, and it's a constant thing that we always try. We look at our statistics and where are these accidents happening. So you can see and if we you have, can avoid yeah, them. We have a GIS unit at work, and they what is that? plot geographic information systems division yeah. at our office, and they plot where all our boating accidents are and what kind they are on maps. You know, they do the, the mapping and the satellite imagery. There's just not one place. It's random. Now, you might have one lake that might have three or four accidents right in a row and then not have another one for another five or six years. Right. Is there ever a situation where, like, suddenly something just happened and it was not preventable? Or is it something that really if we really get our stuff together and really pay attention and learn the rules that we really could prevent. There are some random accidents that you're just going, wow, how did that happen? But it's just so bizarre and so crazy that I don't think anything could have prevented it. But for um, the most part, it's where maybe someone was inattentive or drinking and boating or didn't have a life jacket. And we probably could cut down most of the deaths then. Is that yeah, accurate? I think so. So any final thoughts? Yes. Boating is fun. It's a great activity. I've been boating since I was in diapers. <laughs> and I want to encourage you, if you don't go boating, go boating and just have a great time. We want everybody to have a good time while they're boating, but especially we want them to go home to their families at the end of the day. Betsy Woods with TWRA, the Education Coordinator for the state. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anna-Marie. And from safety on the water to safety in the car. So we've got fatal crash and child safety specialist, Officer Erica Bowden with us. Now, I heard somewhere that a majority of child safety seats are installed incorrectly. Is that still true or are we getting better on that? That's correct. Three out of four car seats are installed incorrectly. Wow. What are the mistakes we're making? Is that something you can tell us about or do you have to show us? I can tell you some, but we also provide free seat checks. You can call our office, set up an appointment. You can come out to our office and we can check to make sure it is the correct car seat for your child and that the car seat fits in the car correctly. 
It is free for them to come out there. It takes about 30 minutes. We go over the different components of the car seat, the safest place in the car to place the car seat. Which is? We usually prefer the middle just because it protects the child if the car is hit from either side. It gives the car more room to cave in before the car seat will be affected. Now, that's not applicable in all situations. When you have multiple children, you'll probably have to put them on the outboard seats. So that's why it's good for people to come out so we can look at their car and their own dynamics of their family. Right. And you said the right car seat. What do you mean the right car seat? Do people tend to have the wrong one sometimes? Or is it just if a child is grown enough that they need something different? Well, there are several different car seats. There are weight restrictions, height restrictions, and also forward-facing, rear-facing, convertible, which is a car seat that would go rear and forward facing. So to make sure it's in the correct direction and that it fits the child properly. Okay, good. So we can call and make an appointment and have that checked out. Are there other things that people tend to forget about or that they just don't know about that you want to make sure we kind of mention today when we talk about child safety seats? Children need to be in some sort of child safety restraint until they're nine years old and four foot nine. Not or four foot nine. Correct. Nine years old and four foot nine. Correct. So if they're 10 and they're not four foot nine. Correct. And you can put your child in a car without the car seat, put their back against the seat. And if their feet touch the floor properly, then the seatbelt will hit them across the strongest bones, the pelvic and across the chest where it should on an adult body. If they're not touching the floor, it will not hit them in the strongest parts of their body. Therefore, they could suffer internal injuries if the seatbelt were to stop them. Because often the kids being the wrong size means the seatbelt will hit them in their stomach, for example, or where? In their stomach. And that's the same thing when we have infants with their harness clip that grows on their chest. The biggest mistake I've seen in car seats is that harness clip is too low on the body. It's actually sitting on the stomach. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a crash, it won't stop until it gets to a bone, which is the spine. We want it against their breastbone. We say nipple to armpit level is where that harness clip needs to be. And for the older children, you're essentially doing the same thing by taking them out of a booster seat. You're making the seatbelt rise on their stomach instead of on their pelvic bone. Now, what did you say? It won't stop till it gets to bone. When you are in a crash and the child is rear facing, they will rock backwards. They will then rock forwards with the crash dynamics. And that harness clip is what stops their body from coming out of the car seat, along with the five point harness. That harness clip is a hard piece of plastic that essentially can cause internal injury if placed against a soft part of the body, the stomach. The breastbone will stop that hard piece of plastic and would possibly cause bruising, but no severe internal injuries. That's the same thing with adult seatbelts, too. We want to have those in the right place because you need that bone for the seatbelt to stop rather than to going into your soft tissue. Correct. What about for parents who can't afford a very expensive car safety seat? Can they get a cheap one and are they okay? Or are there things that they need to know about trying to save money in that area? There are lots of things you can save money with when you have a child, such as clothes, bottles, lots of different things that you can get as hand-me-downs. I tell parents the one thing that you do not want to buy at a yard sale, that you do not want to get a hand-me-down, is a car seat. Why? You don't know the history of that car seat. You don't know if it's been involved in a crash, so it will not react the same way the next time. Also, a lot of car seats do not have expiration dates, but there are expiration dates. They what? Will, they will have the manufacturer's date, but not the expiration. The manufacturer's date, you just go five years 
beyond that, that is the expiration. Why do they expire? The integrity of the car seat being in heat and cold in the car, most of them are made with plastic and it won't withstand over five years. It kind of starts to decompose. Correct. If it's in a climate controlled environment for five years, then that would not be an issue. But being in a car, it is an issue. Oh my gosh. And you said overall, when you're trying to teach teenagers how to drive, you can't drive like a maniac and then expect them to drive great, right? Just remember, if you do it, they will do it. Texting, honking your horn excessively, speeding up to get through a yellow light. Anything you do, they will do and they think they can do it better because they are younger, faster and have quicker reaction times. Do you know what tends to be the causes of the teen-related crashes and teen-related fatalities? Since we know we're teaching them our bad habits, are those what caused the crashes or do you find it's kind of more inexperience? Inexperience is definitely the main contributing factor to teen crashes, coupled with distractions in the car. And that's not only texting, changing the radio station, passengers in the car. And that's what we have different restrictions on the graduate driver's license program. Oh. Is to try to help limit those distractions in the car. For example, 16-year-old can only have one passenger in the car unless it's an adult or a sibling. Cell phone usage, this is a big one that people don't know. A teen cannot use a cell phone in the car. That is not only texting, that is calling. A while teen, they're driving. Correct. While they're driving, a teen cannot talk on the phone, even if they're not holding it in their hand. They cannot use a Bluetooth device as well. It can't be hands-free or talking on the phone, texting, anything regarding a phone, unless it's a bona fide emergency is the only time you can use the phone. And most of those times, you're going to be on the side of the road with a flat tire, or you're not going to be driving. And that's for how old? Until they turn 18. Oh, really? Yes. So if your teenager calls you or texts you and they're driving, or you call or text them and know they're driving and think, well, I just need to call him and tell him to do such and such, then you're helping him break the law. And, you know, there's a lot of apps that you can put on phones, because that's a big concern of the teens that come to our class. Well, what if my mom texts me and asks if I've made it to school yet and I don't respond, she's going to get mad at me. You can download almost any phone, an app that if you're going above 10 miles per hour, your phone automatically silences itself and it will respond back to anybody that texts you an auto reply that says, please excuse me, I'm driving right now. I'll see your text when I stop driving. No way. Yes. Parents need to research. There are lots of apps, devices you can put in cars that if the person, a teen is using the phone, whether texting or talking, when they get to their location and turn their car off, the car will not start again. They have to actually call their parent and get a code put into their car. Technology has come a long way and lots of different apps that can help out in the car to give the parents more knowledge. That is how parents help their kids become safe drivers, is knowledge. Hold them accountable. It's not only up to police officers to enforce teen laws about driving. It's really the parents' responsibility. And then once those laws are broken or rules are broken, to hold them accountable for that. And if your teen is pulled over and does get a ticket, make them face the consequence, not your wallet. Right. I've seen a lot of parents bail kids out the first, the second, and the third times, and then the kid ends up dead. And that's what we're worried about. That's why we do this program, is to try to teach teens we want to educate them, but we also need the help of parents. Now, what should parents go, I want you as a parent to Google right now, look up, and then do if you're going to help your kid. You would want them to go look for apps to keep the kids from texting and calling while they're driving, right? Tennessee teens driving laws. 
because they're gonna they're gonna be different depending on what state you're in. So you need to make sure you're looking at Tennessee law. Tennessee teen driving laws. You can go to a couple websites and they'll have a parent teen contract already formulated where you can add in your own stipulations for the teen to abide by and hold them accountable. If they fail to hold the contract, then there needs to be a consequence. Yes, that's true. We're talking this morning with Erica Bowden. Officer Bowden is one of the instructors with the Teen Driver Awareness Program, and she's a fatal crash investigator here in Tennessee. And do you have children? I have three children. So when your children become of driving age, what kind of car will you get them? What will your rules be? I will get them a car that is safe and reliable. Safe as in not a sports car, not a small vehicle. I see a lot of small vehicles compared to the big vehicles on the roadway yeah. that don't end up well when they're in a crash. And that concerns me. So I will probably get a bigger style vehicle. My mm. kids probably won't like it, but they'll probably have a bigger vehicle. Do you tend to see a lot of sports cars with teenagers involved in fatal crushes? We do. We see cars, Mustangs, Challengers, Chargers, a lot of the cars that are meant for speed. Mm-hmm. So teens feel that they need to drive them fast and they just don't have the experience. They don't have the experience to handle different situations they're in. One of my friends posted on Facebook recently, here's my son's new first car. It's my husband's choice, not mine, but here it is. And it was a sports car. And I just thought, oh my gosh, you just gave him something to kill himself with because that's horrifying to me. Me too. My kids will probably not have anything more than a four-cylinder car <laughs> when they start driving. A but, 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 but. Exactly. I mean, we have a wide variety of cars involved in crashes, sure. but it tends to be the inexperience with the power of those vehicles. They don't mix well together. Teens are very susceptible to peer pressure. And even if they wouldn't do it by themselves, when they have other people around them, they're more tempted to do things. And that's one of the reasons you can only have one passenger in your vehicle when you're 16, unless it's a sibling or a parent. That's to prevent the peer pressure, to prevent the distractions in the vehicle. Oh, right. Somebody else talking to you, distracting you, or saying, give it some gas. Let's see what this baby will do. Exactly. Yeah, kids just tend to do that. And they tend to feel like they're just invulnerable. They do. And that's one of the reasons we show a lot of videos in the class. Oh, yeah. A lot of heart-wrenching videos of true life stories where people didn't expect to have these things happen to them. We not only show them from the perspective of family members that have lost a teen, but teens that have been the driver and have killed somebody. And they're having to do this as part of their community service, these PSAs, public service announcements. But we show the kids a different variety. We actually have a speaker that comes in. She was involved in a crash here in Davidson County several years ago. Her boyfriend was the driver and he was killed. She was a passenger in the vehicle and was a senior at the time and she was severely injured. She almost lost her legs. She's had several surgeries on her legs and will continue to have those surgeries. But she comes to our class and she talks. He went around a double yellow line, tried to speed around a car and lost control of his car. He had a sports car and he just lost control, hit a tree and it was tragic for two teens to be involved in that one to lose his life and the other she will suffer every day from that decision of getting in that car with him. She's a great speaker. She works with Vanderbilt also. She loves to come out there and we love her coming out there to us. Why do you think she enjoys coming out there? She doesn't want anybody else to end up where she has. She has done a lot with her life. She has gone to college but she's also lost 
the ability to have children one day. She will probably have a, her legs amputated by the time she's 30 just because of the pain. The, a lot of goals and dreams she had for her life mm-hmm. didn't end up the way that she wanted them to. And she wants to prevent that from happening to any other teen. In fact, she's the reason I decided to apply for our fatal crash team and leave patrol. Wow. I showed up. I remember coming into work and I got a call as soon as I got to the South Police Precinct. I got a call that there was a crash and it was very serious. So I went out there. I was one of the first officers on the scene. I couldn't tell at the time what kind of vehicle it was. I could just see the underside of the vehicle. Mm -hmm. It was wrapped around a tree and I could hear screaming. As soon as I got out of my car, the screaming was just terrible. As I approached the vehicle, I couldn't really tell how many people were in the vehicle. I couldn't tell if they were female, male, whatever. I just knew we were waiting for the ambulance to get there, the firefighters to pull this vehicle off that tree. Mm. It took over an hour to get both people out of the vehicle. And we actually didn't even realize there were two people in there until we pulled the vehicle off and we saw that the driver had been flung over onto the passenger. And when we took him out, we saw her. She was the one screaming. She'd been screaming for over, I think it took them about an hour to get her out of the car. And we had, you know, family members arriving at the scene because it was close to their neighborhoods that they lived in. They were just teenagers. And just the drama of being out there, the emotions that were out there. It just made me want to go and investigate and figure out why do these crashes happen? What can we do to prevent this? How can we educate teens so this doesn't happen again? I don't ever want to see families suffer like that. People suffer like that again. If we can prevent that, that's what our job is is to help prevent people from going through tragic events such as that night that I saw. Is there anything else I've neglected to ask that you think is important to add? Ask your teens questions. Ask them if they're comfortable driving. Not everybody at the age of 15 needs a learner's permit. Not everybody at the age of 16 wants to drive a car, and that is perfectly fine. The last thing you want to do as a parent is to put a teen in a car that's not comfortable being in a car. A lot of parents put teens in their car because it's convenient. It's easier for that teen to be driving themselves than you taking them to practice, than you taking them to school. If they're not comfortable, you shouldn't be comfortable with them being in a car. Driving is based on the ability of the teen as well as the parent being there asking questions find out the graduated drivers program the different restrictions know that everybody in your teen's car has to have a seatbelt on that's not the same when an adult's driving backseat passengers don't need a seatbelt if they're of legal age mm-hmm. they don't need a seatbelt but when a teen's driving everybody in the car is required to wear a seatbelt they have a limited amount of passengers that can be in the car They can't use a cell phone, even if it's just talking on the cell phone. They can't drive between certain hours of the night because that's when most fatal crashes for teens happen is in the middle of the night. So they've restricted that. So just know the laws, educate yourself as a parent, and then educate your teen because not all parents know these laws. And if you don't know them, you can't enforce them. Also, teach your teen what to do if there's an emergency on the roadway. If they have a flat tire, urge them to get off to the side of the road. Do not stop in the middle of the road. I don't care if you're shredding your tire to get off to the side of the road. A tire is the least of your worries then. We've had a lot of crashes, fatal crashes, where people are stopped on the middle of the interstate and people come behind them and hit them. Yeah. There's very little chance of survival when you're stopped and somebody 70 miles an hour hits you. If something's wrong with your vehicle, get off the side of the road and then call. Also educate them if they are pulled over by a police officer what to do. They need to go the right-hand side of the roadway 
way. Don't go to the left side. The right side is where you need to go. If you feel more comfortable going to a parking lot instead of being on the side of the road and there's a parking lot within sight, drive slowly. Put your flashers on and it alerts the police officer that you're pulling over. But just slow your speed down, put your flashers on and pull into a parking lot. That way it's safe not only for your teen being off the side of the road, but also the officer being off the side of the road. For the parents who are just really figuring out they have a lot to learn, where would you suggest they go first? Governor's Highway Safety Office. You can go to their website, TDOT, Metro Nashville Police Department. Go to any of the traffic units. TNTrafficSafety.org is a great site to go to to get information on all the teen laws. Or you can just type in, if you forget all these websites, just type in Teen Driving Laws in Tennessee, and you can get information there. That was Officer Erica Bowden, who's a fatal crash investigator here in Davidson County and also one of the people who does the teen driver awareness program and the car seat safety checks as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to our focus programs. Thank you to our guests who take their time and give so generously so we can give you that information that might make your life better, make your life safer. Thank you. Have a great week. Talk to you next Sunday on Focus. Focus.